kind of like Narnia sometimes in New Brunswick, doesn't it? Always winter, but never Christmas. No, 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 we do have Christmas. You know what I say in Moncton? The weatherman says, looks like a blizzard, but you folks say, looks like a good day for church. Amen. <laughs> And so uh, we know, though, that we've got lots of people with us online today as well. We have tons of people out there, and we're so glad that you are with us as well. And uh, we are starting this brand new series today, and I promised last week that I was going to share a miracle story with you that would be really good, that would be exciting, and that uh, you are going to want to hear in the life of our church but I wonder if you would give me permission to do that next week because, again, we've cut a lot of things. We've cut from the order of the service to keep it short so that we can send everybody on their way. And that would take some extra time. So with your permission, kind of give me a nod, we're going to do that next week and go ahead and get right into the teaching. And we're going to cut some of this down today. But the series that we start today is called Mythbusters. And we are talking about some of the common things that, uh, that we believe in our society, things that we tend to say. And some of those things maybe are not that big a deal. But other things that we tend to say and believe in our culture today can have negative and devastating consequences. And so to get started, here is the very first myth that we are going to look at. And I think that nobody says it better then old blue eyes, the chairman of the board, do you know who that is? For those of you who don't know, Frank Sinatra, maybe one of his most famous songs recorded live in 1974. Check it out. Crank it up. I find Come on now, bring it up. <laughs> so there we go. Maybe you can sing it together. To think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way. No, no, not me. I did it. My way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows. And so this, this kind of thinking has become fundamental in our Western society. 
the whole sexual revolution, uh, free love and promiscuity, gender fluidity, commercialism, capitalism, parenting, education. The whole foundation is this idea that nobody else should be able to tell me what to do. If I could just be allowed to follow my heart and follow my urges and desires and passions, if I could just get my way, si je peux avoir des choses à ma façon, if I could just have things my way, then I could finally be happy. In fact, do you know that Americans even put this in the Declaration of Independence? Back in 1776, the founding document of the country says, every person has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of what? The pursuit of happiness. If I could just pursue the things that I want, then maybe then I could be happy. And I think this is how this myth begins to play out in our lives. We begin to think, well, if I cannot have things my way, then I cannot be happy. I remember uh, some years ago, one time I had a, a family that came in to meet with me in my office. And these two parents and their beautiful little daughter, who was the definition of trouble on two legs. And uh, she was into everything. And they wanted her to be happy, and so they denied her nothing. And so she was all over my office. She got behind my desk. I had a little secret stash of peanut M&Ms. Uh, for my health, and uh, back there, and she and she got into those, and f and they she woo, whipped them out, and they went flying all over the office, and then she went over, and I had a, uh, a a coffee cup filled with coffee beans to make my office smell nice, and uh, and she grabbed that, and coffee beans went flying all over the place, and and she uh, got books off of my shelf, and they were all she dug through my trash can. I'm not sure what she thought she was going to find. And what was interesting is the entire time her parents apologized to me, but did not stop her. And, and, and I, I wonder if it had to do with this idea. I don't want to deny my child anything. If I say no or put any boundaries in place, I might inhibit her happiness. Now, do you think that made her happy? No, she was a crying mess. But, but yet, in our... In our society, is that what happens when we grow up? When, when you get married, does your spouse say, oh, I'm just here to serve you and please you. Whatever you want, we'll just do it your way. Is that the, is that the makings of a good marriage? It, when you get a job, is that what your boss says? You know, if you feel like sleeping in on most days, that's okay. Just show up whenever you feel like it. We, just, we are just here to give you a paycheck and make you happy. Is that how it works when you become a parent and have teenagers? Do they say, oh, Father, you are truly a role model. I look up to you. As a 15-year-old, if I could just ever thank you for all the sacrifices you've made. Oh, Mother, is there anything I can do to serve you today and make you happy? Is this sounding like the real world? And yet it's the way that we so often have been programmed to live. 
And so I, I want to talk a little bit about demographics here for just a minute. And so for those of you here in the room, you'll, you'll, everybody will fall into one of these categories unless you are really, really old. Anybody who was uh, born earlier than before 1946, like, right? Like if that means everybody. So if you're, you're called the builder demographic, if you were born before 1946, let me see. How many builders do we have? Okay, that's good. If you were, now, if you were born before 1946, that very likely means that you had parents who went through the Great Depression. So they taught you no complaining, you better put up or shut up, do what you've been told, uh, and uh, things will work out all right. That was the builders. It, boomers were born between 1946 and 1964, who are, oh, we've got a good number of boomers here today. The next generation was my generation, Gen X. Let me see, or the baby busters. A lot of us here today as well. And I see you raising your hand online, maybe. <laughs> uh, millennials, born between 1984 and 2000. Look at all the millennials in the house. We're so glad you're here today. Uh, millennials. And then the youngest are those born after 2001. How many are born after 2001? Fantastic. We're so glad you are here today. Okay. I think we covered everybody. Everybody? Yes. Now, here's what's interesting. If you were born in, in the time frame where basically it puts you somewhere in the range of 55 years old or younger, most of us were raised by something called the one-eyed babysitter. What is that? The television, exactly. And what has the television told us since we were just little? You deserve a break today. You need to have it your way. Go ahead, you're worth it. If you buy this, it will make you happy. Look at how it makes them happy in the commercial. If you drink this beer, you will become popular and everybody will invite you to their hot tub parties in Aspen, Colorado. If, if, if you buy this car, then finally people will think that you are cool and successful and that you have your life all together. Debt, oh yeah, that's not a problem. You can pay for it later. With only 10 years of short monthly installments of $900 a month, you can drive a cool car too. And, and, and anyone younger than 30 years old, if you're younger than 30, then you don't even need the television, do you? A lot of young people don't watch television your whole life. You have been able to customize everything to your own desire. With our handheld devices and the internet, we can watch anything, we can read anything, we can listen to anything, we can buy anything we want just like this in an instant at the snap of a finger. And so we don't like boundaries because we are used to being able to customize everything to our own personal taste so that we shape the world around our own desires. And what happens is we begin to dislike the idea that there might be anything objective that is truly right or wrong. Can I just admit that many people might not like this message? This goes against the very fabric of our 
society. See, the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says that getting what you want will many times actually make you unhappy in the end. Here's, here's how we're going to break down this myth. See, happiness is not the byproduct of getting what you want. Happiness is the byproduct of learning contentment. That's what the Bible says. And here, there is a secret to contentment. And what the Bible means here, when it gives us a very specific formula that we are going to get to next week. It's going to be really good. I hope you'll come back. Those of you who are with us online, make a special effort to be here next week. When we see what that formula is in the New Testament for learning contentment. But before we get to that, let me concede something today. Let's admit that on the surface, happiness seems like a logical goal. Because after all, nobody is as concerned about your happiness as you are. (laughs) Nobody else is going to make it their life goal to satisfy all your desires and make you happy. And so we think, well, logically then, I need to make that my goal. But while that seems logical, it actually fails to take into account one very important truth, the scientific law of diminishing returns. Now, I don't know if I've ever brought this up on a Sunday morning uh, before in the year and a half that I've been here yet, but, but this to me, when you begin to understand the law of diminishing returns, it unlocks wisdom in so many areas of your life and begins to show you why we so often get off track in our society today. Now, this is not a life principle. In fact, it is a scientific and economic principle. So if you look up the law of diminishing returns, you will find it most often used in reference to economics. Let me first give you the definition and then we'll talk about how it applies to our lives. The law of diminishing returns is a point at which adding more input begins to decrease your rate of return. A point at which adding more input means that you begin to get less of a percentage back. Now, how does that apply to our lives? This is really, really good. Follow me here. In our lives, what that means is that sometimes, sometimes the more you get of something the less enjoyment you get from it. Think about it. Let me give you an example. How many of you like chocolate? Oh, yeah. I I think we started talking about chocolate, and some people would come for an altar call right now. (laughs) You get a good piece of chocolate, and it feels like it'll change your life. Am I the only one? Do you have a favorite chocolate brand? What's the best? Mint? uh, uh, Ganong? Oh, there's a good New Brunswick answer. Ganong. Exactly. That was my dad's favorite, Ganong. Hershey's? There's a high-quality brand right there, Hershey's. That, that's more about quality than, or quantity than quality, isn't it, sometimes? What else? Arrow bars. There's another good Canadian answer. Cadbury. Okay. Now, when you get a really, really good piece of quality chocolate, and it just melts on your tongue, and it's, it's rich and smooth, and creamy, and it's just like a party in your mouth. Am I right? And you have that, and you think, you know what? 
This one piece of chocolate has brought me so much enjoyment. I think I'll have 20. <laughs> have you been there? Some of you are like, sounds like my Christmas holiday. So one is, is v greatly enjoyable. 20 should be even more enjoyable, right? But what you'll find is the more you eat, the less good you feel. Until you get to candy number 40, and all of a sudden your, your hands are shaking, and you start to feel sick to your stomach, and you begin to realize the law of diminishing returns, that sometimes the more you get of what you think is a good thing, the less you will actually enjoy it. Let me give you a picture example of this. It looks kind of like this. This guy thought that a little hamburger is good. A ginormous hamburger is even better. And so the first bite, I'm sure, was wonderful. But by bite 200, he decides, I never want to see another hamburger again in my whole life. You know, this is one of the areas where I think it, it shows up in dating. This, this is how it works in dating many times. And this is why some Christians end up knowing what the Bible says, knowing the teaching of God, and yet go into places physically that we know we're not supposed to be. The law of diminishing returns. You meet a girl, you meet a guy, and you think, if, if this person would just have a conversation with me, it would be the most wonderful moment of my life. And so you approach the person, you begin to have a conversation like, oh, and you're just, your palms are sweating and your forehead, you know, you've got to make sure your eyebrows are not like covered in sweat. And you, and, and you walk away and think that was the most exhilarating conversation I have ever had. And you have the courage to ask this person out. You go out on a date and by date two or three, you think, you know what, I'm going to be brave and reach out and grab hold of their hand. And you reach out and you have that moment where you hold hands. And when your fingers touch, it's like electricity goes through your body, isn't it? Woo! And, and then after a couple of dates and, and holding hands, you decide, I've got a strategy how to up the ante here. I'm going to take her to a scary movie. The scary movie is the ultimate date experience, right? Because she needs someone to comfort her in her sorrow and now, I'm not, I'm not speaking theoretically. The second movie, first movie, actually, first movie that I ever took my wife to when we were dating, it was our second date. I took her to see Jurassic Park. With all those jump scares, I knew she'd be so frightened. I had already seen the movie, so I know when the dinosaurs are going to jump out, and I would give her a little poke just to ensure <laughs> that she jumps and needed a little comforting. And, you know, if, if you do it just right, you can get your arm around. It's kind of hard in the movie theater seat, but you, you get your arm around the shoulder, and, and that sense of closeness is so special and exhilarating, and it feels so good. And eventually, eventually, young people, three years later, after you get engaged, you have the first kiss, right? <laughs> after you get married, <laughs> and that first kiss you do not think that there is any way that the world could get better than in this moment. But then it's not enough. And you go further. And you go further. Because each time, the more you do, the less enjoyment you experience. And you end up going to places that you know that you should not go. And doing things you know 
you should not do. It's the law of diminishing returns. It says, if it takes this much to make me feel good this time, next time it'll take even more to get the same result. Guess what? That's how addiction works, isn't it? Right? Drugs, I need just a little bit this time to get an effect. The next time it takes more, and the next time it takes more until I'm trapped. Alcohol, gambling, pornography, greed, money, buying stuff, consumerism. At first it feels good, but then I have to have a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and I end up going to places and doing things that I never intended to do. See, here is the dirty little secret about this myth. If I cannot have things my way, then I cannot be happy. The truth is, when we live this way, the more we pursue happiness, the less happy we become. Here are four dangers of this myth. Number one, we start chasing after the wind. Whichever way the wind blows, the movies we watch, the things we see online, the things that celebrities say and do. We become shaped by the thinking of this world, and whatever is popular, we go running after it, searching for happiness the way that the world defines it. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13, Solomon says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon says, I made it the goal of my life to go out there and experience all this world has to offer. And he says, but I found that in the end, it never delivers on what it promises. In the end, it is just a meaningless pursuit, a chasing after the wind. And as you read through Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about many of those things that he pursues. He, he was one of the richest men in the world. So he could have anything and do anything that he wanted. And in chapter 2, he says, here's what I found after I experienced it all. He said, here's the answer. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 26 to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Solomon says that after it all, here's what I found. What I found is that there is only one thing that satisfied. That when I stopped running after happiness as the goal, and I started running after God, that's when I found what I was looking for. Amen. Amen? Number two, we struggle to maintain healthy relationships. We think, have you ever wondered why, why is the divorce rate 50%? Why, why do 50% of marriages end in divorce? Look at politics today and all the fights and screaming and antagonism in our culture the Bible explains why there is all this fighting and discord in James 4, verse 1. He asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, so much of our struggle 
relationally comes from this cultural mindset that I should be able to have whatever I desire. That is the purpose of my life. And what happens is when everybody starts living that way, society starts to break down. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. James continues talking about these desires that we have in the next verse. James 4, verse 2. He says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, he says, the problem is you've been searching in the wrong places. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we're going to see next week how God says that happiness comes from a completely different mindset. Number three, we develop a distorted view of right and wrong. The world says, just follow your heart. Do whatever you desire. But here's what Jesus says about these desires that we feel. When people say, well, God made me this way. I, I, I should be able to do whatever I feel or whatever I crave or whatever I hunger because God made me this way. The Bible says that we are corrupted by our sinful nature. And that if we follow our thoughts and desires and feelings and urges and inclinations, that Jesus says, here's the deal, that, that all that stuff down deep inside, out of a person's heart, that is where evil thoughts come from. The sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come from where? Inside and defile a person. And so we begin to develop a distorted view of right and wrong. And that's why, number four, we end up in places we never intended to be. Here's the question, what roadmap are you following in your life? Now we're going to look at, in just a minute, we're gonna see a video clip. And uh, on that video clip, we're going to see a little, bit of, a, a little bit of guidance about how important it is that you check to make sure that you are following the right roadmap in your life. Because the map that you follow, who you listen to, determines where you will end up. <laughs> Watch this. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's up there. Yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. OK. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible.
You sure you're okay? Fine. Good. That is what's most important. Did you get the rental insurance? Because that is pretty important too at a time like this. See, the map that you choose to follow in your life determines where you will end up. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And so next week, we're going to look at what this narrow road actually looks like. And what it would be like if instead of following my own way, I began to seek the way of my Father in heaven. Let's stand together. And our prayer team is going to go ahead and come forward. Because while we're, we're not going to linger too long in all of the meetings that follow the service and different classes and, and uh, things that activities scheduled throughout the day today are canceled after the service. Uh, and so we want everybody to go ahead and get on the roads to get home very carefully in the snow. But some of you, maybe you need to come forward before you leave today and have someone pray with you. We have prayer team members who have been trained and equipped and are ready and desiring to, to help you seek the face of God in your life over whatever the issue is. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we say, Lord, that you are our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. And as Jesus taught us to pray, we declare right now that our desire is that your will would be done. Your kingdom would come here on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. Lord, any area of our life where we have had this kind of mindset. Lord, speak to us and reveal to us how we can begin to order our lives in a way that is pleasing to you so that no longer is it my will that's done, but your will done. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray your provision that you would give us this day our daily bread, and that you would help us to forgive others as we have been forgiven, and that we would be led not into temptation, but that you would protect us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, would you say? Amen. Amen. So listen, if you would like someone to pray with you, maybe you would like to make a decision for Christ today. As everybody is getting ready to leave, we invite you to come down and join our prayer team. Listen, thank you for coming. We love you. Drive safe. But before you go, there's one more piece of business, right? That we not forget our mission, who we are 
as Christians that the way that we live is this, God's love in us to the world. Why? Because love changes everything. Let's go live like it, folks.